living and abiding on the inside of each and every believer. We thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, you strengthen us, you teach us, you guide us. I thank you that you come into this place as the anointing of God, that each and every person might have a personal encounter with you at whatever place they are, whatever level, that you would show them your goodness, Holy Spirit, the goodness of God. That you would empower and strengthen us in our inner man to love one another, to walk out the very plan that God has for our life. We wouldn't try and do it in our own strength, but we'd receive the grace and the strength that you give, Holy Spirit. We thank you for the anointing to bring healing and deliverance, the anointing to bind up that which is broken. We thank you right now, Father, that you are at work. We, we pray for those in Eastern Europe, things we cannot imagine at this point in our life, but we know that there are believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, in Russia, in Ukraine. God, we pray for them. We pray for their safety. We pray for wisdom, church leaders to have wisdom and understanding what to do even right now. We know that you know you're not caught off guard or by surprise. We ask you to deal with the leaders of those nations, God, as only you can, as you've done before, to deal with them, even in the night watches, in the night hour. God, to stir their hearts, to convict their hearts, to bring a change about, to bring them around. God, we just thank you. We pray and we take our authority that forces of darkness would be pushed back and the light would arise and the church would, by your wisdom, stand tall in those places and strong, declaring your word, taking their authority and their nation to bring down the strongholds and to bring down the strategies of the enemy. So remind them and renew them of the authority that they have as believers to declare your word, take power over spirits of darkness over their country to bring about change. Father, in our nation, we pray, God, our leaders would have wisdom and understanding concerning the days and the times that we live in. God, over our locale, God, we pray and we command spirits of darkness and oppression to be pushed back. God, that the days that we live in, the church would arise and the freedom and the understanding, God, we pray that that hopelessness that seems to take a hold of lives they don't know what to live for anymore, God, that you would change and begin to bring a hope, a great hope into the hearts of men and women, into the hearts of young people who are just getting started, who have a high calling for their generation, God, that the enemy would not steal from them and bring them to a hopelessness, but they would begin to see, not a, a compare themselves to the world, but see themselves in you and the possibilities and the, the, the fulfillment of what we think is impossible in their life, that there might be hope and peace, God. Thank you to comfort the heart of grieving, those who are grieving and struggling with loss. God, those who are sick, that healing would spring forth in their body. God, work and let there be an outpouring of the Spirit of God right here in our region like never before to heal up brokenness and wounds, to strengthen us in our inner man that the church might arise and bring hope and bring the hope of the glorious gospel that it might be heard and faith might arise in people's heart and an expectation of things to come because it's that faith that is the substance of what we hope for and creates a divine hope and a divine calling. So let us not draw back as a church, but God, give us the boldness to speak your word, that we would be bold to stretch forth your hand with anointing. The signs and wonders might be wrought in the name of Jesus 
and that lives would be saved for all of eternity, God. Put in us that heart of loving kindness. Cause it to abound yet more and more in knowledge and discernment that we would look around us and make a discernment and a judgment to go to people and show the love of Christ with them. Even though in our mind, our flesh, we may not think it's needed, we would follow your spirit and love those around us enough to share the life-changing gospel with them. Strengthen us for our generation, for this time and for this season, we pray, that lives might be changed, that souls might be saved into the kingdom of God like never before, that we would be equipped to bring in harvest, harvest from fields we did not think would be ready for harvest, but we look up and see that they are white unto the harvest. Strengthen us in our inner man for this very time and this very season. Help us to speak as we ought to speak, God. Hear what you're saying to us, that we'd be equipped for this time as we go out from here and able to shine as bright lights and be savory salt. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone who greets it, amen. Amen. Good evening, church. How are you this evening? Praise the Lord. It's a great day to be alive, isn't it? Man, God is good. may seem like, you know, there's a lot of bad things happening, but God's doing some great, great things. Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't you greet three or four people around you? Tell them that you're glad that they're here tonight. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Youth, you can be seated for just a moment. Glory to God. Glory to God. Well, uh, this weekend, Friday night and Saturday day, our youth had their winter encounter. Matt Sharon was here. Amen. And so... uh, Praise the Lord, as soon as the worship team uh, gets down. um, Praise the Lord. Anybody over here, youth, have something you can testify of from Youth Encounter? Don't everybody move at once. (laughs) Come on. Somebody. I won't make you, but... Oh, sure, John, you can. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm hoping that you'll follow my example here. But first off, I want to say thank you so much. Uh, It was a great winter encounter. We did our first winter conference last year, and we had more students at this conference. We didn't really have any outside non-churched kids at last year's conference, and we've been talking a lot about youth about our circle, which are places and faces that we go into. You might remember that from Layla's message. She re-preached my message very well. But, uh, and I've been encouraging that you have friends around you and to invite your friends to this event. If it changed your life, bring your friends. Well, we had tons of friends brought, and a lot of those people were able to come because you were so generous. You were sponsored kids. You gave into this event. And I want to say we had 79 students here. Uh, two other churches other than our own was represented. We had a youth minister from Alexandria, Louisiana. His flight got canceled. Different things happened, but he still got here. And from the very get-go, the energy and the anticipation in this room, 
Usually, if you've been to some youth conferences, the first night, everyone's looking around and looking like, what's happening? Oh, goodness. But not this time. The atmosphere in this room was one of the most powerful I've ever been in, and I'm not exaggerating. It was really strong, wasn't it? Anyone else can testify to that? It was amazing. They came expecting, and the gifts of the Spirit were just in movement the whole night. He wasn't even able to preach. And I want to tell you, that's very important. Because I wouldn't be a youth minister, I wouldn't be here, I wouldn't have stayed at this church as long as I have if it wasn't for moments in youth camp like that. And I've been encouraging students to write down things in our message. When I teach, they have a notepad that they write things down, and we took down a bunch of testimonies. The guys we had to really encourage, but the ladies, the girl students really were willing to give their testimony, and those were vulnerable, and I, they didn't write their name on them. And I just want to say, and hopefully you get what I'm saying, this event was a life-saving event, not just spiritually, but naturally. And we know that by the testimonies that were given at the event. It was extremely powerful. And I just hope one of these students up here would be willing to get up and take this mic from me. Come on, Madeline, you got it. Hi. So... Um, I play sports, and I'm kind of rough on my body, and I probably shouldn't be, but through that process, I ended up hurting my shoulder, and it's, like, keeping me from doing sports and stuff, but at the conference, I was expecting it to be healed, and it was, so. Okay, so my name is Lexi. Um, I ski, and um, last week I tore my ACL skiing, and I was actually not able to walk into the encounter, and I was able to walk out Friday night, so. About getting here, but I'm here now. <laughs> um, I have had neck pain, um, especially really bad this week last week, um, and I came to the encounter in pain with tape all over my neck to keep it from doing crazy things. I didn't have full range of in my neck, and now I do. Hi. So mine's not as much of what happened to me, but what I witnessed happen to my friends. So. I've been a part of the youth group since fifth grade, so I was 12. And during worship, like John said, it was really impactful. And I had two friends there that had never really gotten to know God. And both of them were on the ground crying that night. And I was so happy. I started crying. And I was jumping back and forth, back and forth in the middle of worship, just laughing and crying because my friends were on the ground crying because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was just one of those moments where it was like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> so that's my, what happened to me this weekend. I'm Aspen, and I'm not one to cry about things. I remember when I went to the summer encounter, I didn't cry once. And the winter encounter, that was the first time I've ever cried at a church willingly. <laughs> it, it just felt different. I know Gunnison's never cried before like that, so. 
<laughs> it, it was just a different experience, and I felt so whole. It was nice. Um, I, the devil has been putting thoughts into my mind that I don't want to think. And when I walked into the youth encounter and um, we started worshiping, I felt all those thoughts go away. And it was really awesome. Hello, my name is Gabe. And um, that night, Matt told me to come up to the stage, and I did. And um, I fell in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was really impactful on my life that night. And I also got healed from, like, knee pain because I ski as well. And that's what happened. All right. Any other gentlemen want to share? You guys shared so much for Death of Summer Encounter. You must have shared yourself out. But I wanted to give just this uh, tangible thing. We, we had a salvation goal for the last winter conference. And we didn't see anyone saved because they were mostly all youth students. But this year, at the end, I was in the front. Again, I was getting ministered to. The atmosphere in the room was so powerful, and I was on my knees. And he gives an altar call. And he said, I see that hand. I see that hand. I didn't look up. I probably should have. I was just being ministered to. So I messaged him last night. I said, hey, you gave an altar call. How many hands were raised? He said, man, probably 25 hands were raised at that. So those might be rededications, but I believe there's some salvations in there. And either way, those are students that felt like they weren't close to God, that are now close to God. So I'm so thankful for the encounter. And I'm just telling you, summer encounter is June 23rd through the 25th. And it's a life-saving event, more ways than one. Put it on your schedule. Thank you so much to the families and the parents who see the importance in this. And I'd encourage you to see the importance. And if you have a vacation plan, move that vacation. If you have sports planned, tell them they're going to miss that weekend because there's great return on things like this. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Y'all can be dismissed. Praise the Lord. Give them a hand as they go. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, I want to remind you all, once again, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock, we're here praying and uh, continuing to pray. If you can make it, at, uh, we're, we're just, uh, there's plenty, as uh, Tony said this morning, there's plenty to pray about. And so we're continuing uh, to pray uh, in that vein and do that. If you weren't here this morning or weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, I want to give you an opportunity to give. If you're making out a check, make it out to New Creation Church. If you're giving by cash or debit or credit card, uh, raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope and... Uh, you're giving by text. The number's up there, and um, you can give by text. We're so thankful for your giving, and um, praise the Lord. Amen. The Lord is good. Amen. Amen. The Lord is good. Yes. His mercy endures forever and ever and ever, and uh, praise the Lord. We're thankful uh, for the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in the lives of young people and all over the place. Amen. Ready?
You guys ready? Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to give. We thank you that you are a good, good God. We command the blessings of your word upon each and every one here. God, that your blessing will come upon them. It will overtake them. That the windows of heaven are open their up over their life. That you pour out blessing. That there's not room enough to receive it. That we become so blessed uh, that in that overflow, we become a blessing to others. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Romans, the third chapter. Romans, the third chapter on Sunday night, we have been going through uh, the book of Rome, we, Romans, and we just uh, started that. And so really to put it in, in a nutshell as we start out talking about this, you know, in chapter one, uh, Paul greeted them and, and, and said, I, I desire to see you at some point. I desire to, to impart some spiritual gift. But then he went on and really explained to them about the world around them and, and what was going on. And he talked about uh, the sinners, really just put it in a, a nutshell, that they sin really because even though they have no excuse uh, for not knowing God through creation, that they have decided in and of themselves to not retain God in their thinking. And in other words, then they just decided that we'll become a God unto ourselves, and then we'll create idols that we'll worship. And so uh, they got caught in that, and from that place of denying or not retaining God in their thinking, and deciding that they would be a God or create their own gods, things to put first before God, they ended up in all kinds of sexual immorality, they ended up in all kinds of really degradation, and they ended up gossiping and talking bad about one another and all, all kinds of different things. And so he's explaining to them, and it, it's relevant to us because if we're not careful to retain God in our thinking, your thinking goes somewhere, and something else becomes first place. And to understand, it seems subtle, but when God's not first place, whatever is, becomes your God. If you're first place in your life all the time, then you have become a God unto yourself. There's a difficulty in that because there is nothing else. There's not a, a, an idol that you create or there's not an idol that you buy or there's not uh, something in your life that you esteem so highly or uh, decide is such a, 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 a problem in your life that it gets all the constant attention, that it becomes God in your life. The, the issue is, is that there is no other thing, no other person in the whole world that is equipped to be God to you. There's only one God. He's the almighty God, and he's equipped to be God. He created you. You didn't create him, right? That's always kind of blown my mind, although I know it's subtle in its action because we've just put things first, and we create things, or, or even many times as Christians, we create in our mind and our emotions the God we want him to be. Instead of looking and reading who he is, we say, well, you know, I don't like that part of God, and I don't like that. And we do kind of our own makeover of God, and we make God to be who we want him to be so that we can do what we want to do. And it can be okay with the God that we've made him to be. So we don't really have to change because we've changed God. But when God is God, then the transformation can take place in us rather than us changing him and saying he's okay with simply how we are and how we do things. And so he, he swings that around to then talking to the Jews who thought that they were above all of that because they were people of God. And he said, now don't think you're something or so much something that you can look at them and begin to judge them when you yourself have changed the law and made it something unto yourself that you think because you're the people of God, you can just make judgments of other people because you are the people of God. And so I know that's a nutshell thing, but he goes on to that. And so he starts to move into chapter 3 
and really start to spread out and cover everything so that with, he's laying really the groundwork that we can see for the understanding of redemption. And so in chapter 3, starting in verse 1, he makes a statement. He says, what advantage then uh, has the Jew or what profit uh, of the circumcision? And so I, I like Romans for a particular reason is because Paul, they, he knows their, their mindset. And they're always jockeying for some sort of position, just as we are. It's just human nature. So, you know, for the Jews, he's like, now, he, don't think that the world out there is something that you can judge when you're not walking it in yourself. And so he comes a little bit down hard on the Jews. And so then they say, well, what good is it to be a Jew? And we do that sometimes as Christians and believers that, you know, if, if mistakes are going to be made, I mean, if we're not perfect, if we can't look down at the world and tell them that they're sinful, what good is it to be a Christian? Right? And so he's saying, listen, what, what, what good is it to be a, a Jew or to have circumcision if the world is sinning and, and, and the Jews are sinning? I mean, what, what good is it? And he says, much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. He said, because they were God's people, God spoke and prophesied of what was to come through them. Right? And God is speaking through his church right now things that are going to happen and speaking into people's lives. And so we can just say, well, people make mistakes, they do things, so what good is it? But God is working in the midst of his people, and he's working in our generation. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but in us, he's working in the hearts of people. And there is a delineation between that, and, and, and you know, we get into that struggle often because even though we, we know that we're saved by faith, that nothing really earned it, we can easily start to drift back into what we haven't done well or what we have really done well and decide, you know what, that's really what makes it worth it. And if, if, if all my good deeds don't make it worth it, then what's the good of doing good? But he'll start to really show us. But, you know, he says all this, I believe, so that we start understanding that, you know, that quandary happens, and it's happened for centuries. Like, so now if I, now that I'm a Christian, you want me to do good. So if I do good, if I really do good, if I do better than somebody else, that gets me some kind of merit, and, and our heart gets set that way. And he's like, wait a minute, you didn't get saved by all these good things that you do. And so don't fall back to that. And again, then we get, into, well, then why do we do anything good? And so you can see here they were asking, well, if the Jews are the Jews and they're the people of God, but still they make mistakes and, and they're not supposed to judge others, then what good is it? And he said, well, God worked through them to get the message of redemption to the world so that we could be looking and we could be seeing what God is doing. And so he says, uh, what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God of no effect? And so he said, listen, you can look at the Jews, they were committed the oracles of God, and you can look at all the mistakes that they made. But let me just tell you right now that their making mistakes does not undo what God said. And so we have that today. We have to be careful to look out and say, well, I don't know if, if I want to receive salvation. I don't, what good, look, I know Christians who have messed up. I know who, Christians who have professed the word of God, and then they have gone ahead and, and acted ungodly. 
Well, listen, just because somebody else didn't believe or, or they were unfaithful to the word of God, God is still faithful. See, too often we get our eyes on people, and certainly there's, there's a balance. I don't want to say there's not some balance that we should be showing forth the life of God. But so often, we should be endeavoring to, to live out from our heart the life of God so that people can see that. But we shouldn't be looking at others and going, well, they made a mistake, so why should I serve God? God didn't make a mistake. God's faithful. And there's so many people out there that have utilized other people and say, well, they didn't serve God. Why should I serve God? They profess God, and look what happened in their life. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, he's trying to say, you know what? Other people's unfaithfulness never reduces the faithfulness of God. Just like we sang, he's always faithful, and he will never deny himself. He is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. We get in a problem that he's not doing it on our timing. Why? We just went back to that. We try to become God to ourselves. We try to create our own idol. We try to create our own God. We say, God, this is my timetable. You need to move my timetable. And if you don't, you're really not God. But God didn't say, I move according to your timetable, and I do what you think I said I would do. I do exactly what I said I would do. Right? Have you ever run into anybody that... Uh, you said you would do something, uh, and it was concise, but by the time they finished imagining what you were supposed to do, it wasn't that close to what you said you would do. There are many times that people come and say, uh, you know, uh, can we do this certain thing? And I'll say yes, and then by the time it gets out there, it's nothing like we started. And they will say, but you said, well, listen, if we had a recording of that, we said this, and it's expanded into this, right? And so God's not doing this expanded version of what we think he should do. He is faithful to perform that which he promised, right? He'll always be faithful. Amen. He'll always be faithful. So he said, uh, does it make the faithfulness of God ineffective? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that you, may, uh, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Verse 5, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then, how will God judge the world? So they were just saying, listen, if, if our unrighteousness demonstrates that God is righteous, shouldn't we just go ahead and be unrighteous so God can be glorified in his righteousness? It's a weird way of thinking, right? But they continue to do that. He says, for if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? They had a mindset that, like, yeah, I mean, it goes clear into Romans 5 and 6. If, if, if we find out where great, with sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Why don't we just sin so grace can abound? And Paul had to say, what? And here he's starting off with their same mindset. They're, they're trying to figure out, based on the world that they came from, listen, if my sin exposes that God is good, then why would God be upset with me for sinning? 
because I've just shown other people that God's good through my sinning. And we would think that's ridiculous, but it still exists at some level. And you say, how do you know that? Because the enemy is still the same. He's working in people's mindset to say, what I'm doing is not so bad. And actually, people might really learn from that. So they say, why would God be upset with me if my sin actually shows his righteousness? And Paul is saying, come on, you can't. Did I just, oh, there we go. Verse 80 says, and why not say, let us do evil that good may come. As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. What Paul is saying is, Paul said that when he came preaching grace, we've heard this before, when he came preaching grace, the people under the law said, Paul is saying, you might as well just go sin, and God doesn't even care about it. You can sin, and righteousness will be revealed in that sin. And what Paul was doing is he was preaching grace. And over a period of time, you know, whenever grace really gets to being preached, people think that. They think, well, I have a license to sin, or what does it matter if it's grace and it's not under the law? Then I can just go ahead and sin, and God's grace will cover it. But he wasn't saying that. And we need to look and understand this right from the very beginning, that grace never gives us a license to sin. Grace is our empowerment to serve God. Grace is our empowerment to serve God. And so anytime grace gets preached, even then, people start saying, well, you're just saying, you know, it's just sloppy and people can just sin and it doesn't matter. Because we can't really seem to, without the Spirit of God, find that place where we understand the empowerment of grace. We're always looking and saying, you know what, if I'm not supposed to be under the law, I'm under grace, then I don't really have to do anything. I can just do whatever I want. Or then we say, well, I can't do whatever I want, then I must be under the law. But there's something supernatural in grace that that we'll see in this that empowers you not to be under the law, but not to still sin in the flesh, but there's something that empowers you that, that, that from the inward man you fulfill the essence of the law, but you do it through relationship, not because you have to, but because there's a relationship that motivates you and empowers you to rise above the sin that would come to kill, steal, and destroy your life, and it actually gives you life more abundantly. It brings you into that place where you are reigning over the things of life rather than being reigned over by life, right? God's so good that way. And the enemy just comes to confuse it that we miss the goodness of God and the empowerment of his grace. But it didn't just happen a decade ago. It happened 2,000 years ago when grace first was preached because there were all these opposing forces. There was the, 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 the Gnosticism. There was the, 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 the emperors who thought they were God. There was the idol worship. There was the, the religion and the law of the Jews. There was just so many things competing that when grace came, it was almost unfathomable to man. You've got to fall under some religious structure that holds you tight, that the hierarchy of that can keep people under control for some reason. And God says, I don't want people under the control uh, of idol worship or gods or, or religion. I want people controlled through a relationship with their God. 
So he goes on, not to get way ahead of ourselves, but in Romans 6, he says that this righteousness, you should become a slave of righteousness. In other words, you should be ruled by this relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. And we, we say, well, it's not religion, it's just a relationship. And we treat that relationship kind of like we do a, a, a human relationship. Well, I'll hang around with you when I want to, I'll call you when I want to, and when I need you, you better be there and show up. If you're really a friend, be there when I need you, but I'll be there when I want to. You be there when I need you. But that's, God says there's a relationship that through that relationship, you are empowered to do more, to love more, to see more, to have a greater compassion, to have a, that anointing or grace empower your life. And so Paul got caught in that same thing, and he, he just says, listen, if you're saying that I'm saying grace allows you to sin, that God's goodness can be seen, he said, you're wrong. It's not, that's not what we're preaching. He said, what then, are we better than they? Not at all. So if the Jews aren't there, then we're better than them. It's always, who's better than who? And we still have that going on. Who's better than who? He says, we're not better, not at all, for we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, they are all under sin. They're all under sin. He's about to bring out this point that man, every single man, has a condition in Adam. In Adam, just as we understand identification with Christ, there is first identification with Adam. And so man is trying to find his own ground here, but really, from a scriptural perspective, there are only two kinds of people on the whole earth, right? There's only two kinds of people. As God looks at, at, at the people of the earth, there's only two kinds of people. There are those who are offspring of Adam's sin and disobedience, and then there are those who are offspring of the righteous obedience of Jesus Christ. There's only those two kinds of people on the earth. There's not, well, I'm somewhere in between. No, you're not. You're either a child or an offspring of Adam's disobedience, or you believed in Christ's obedience unto salvation, and you're born of God. You're born again of God. So you're either offspring born again of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, or you were born into the sin or disobedience of Adam. And so he's charging this first just to lay the groundwork. We've already determined that Jew, uh, the religious man, or the philosopher, the Greek, who his education has taken him so far, we've determined that they have all sinned. How can we determine that? Because sin entered the earth through Adam. Again, all this is setting the stage for things that he's, he's going to explain in his letter a little bit more clearly. He explains it thoroughly in Romans chapter 5, and we'll get to that. But in verse 10, he goes on to, to describe this. And some people, he's taken this Old Testament, and some people even today will, will begin to say, now look, this is why you can't say that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. This is what their substantiation. Because he says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Right? How many of you seek after God? You can't. There's none who seeks after God. 
See, people, same people will say, well, you can't say that you're righteous because there's an unrighteous. But then they'll say, hunger and thirst after the things of God. Well, no, wait a minute. Because he's not describing who we are right now. He's describing the condition of man under Adam. He said, there's no uh, understanding, none who seeks after God. They all have turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way, and the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes, uh, and now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Man, he just says a mouthful right there. And so we look at that, and if you look out there and you say, man, why? I mean, there's people who are saying these things, and their mouth is just filled with bitterness and wrath and angry. There's so much, so much misery. That's man's condition in Adam. It's humanity's condition. So often we look, at, look out there, and we look at people in the condition that they're in, and we begin to, to judge them, or we begin to wonder, how can they be like that? But under Adam's sin, it's working unrighteousness. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he works it in a process, and he works it through our thinkings and our attitudes because we are under the control of that sin. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, he's writing to them, he says, And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. And he's about to explain a little bit of this, being dead in our trespasses and sins. He, he says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. He said, listen, before you were born again, he said, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so if, if you're not careful, you read this and you're, you, you think he's talking about Christians who have become disobedient. So he's not talking about disobedient sons. He's talking about sons of the disobedient, right? The disobedience of Adam... There's offspring of that. And so he said, those who are born under the uh, uh, Adam's sin, which all men came under Adam's sin, if you're not born again, then you are caught up in the course of this world's system. He is the God, small g, of this world. So when Adam really committed high treason, he had authority over all the works of God's hands, and he sinned. He obeyed disobeyed God and obeyed his own flesh, the deception of the enemy, then he handed that over to the devil, right? And so the devil became the God, small g, not overriding God of this world. And so he dictates things that go on, those who are governed by him. And so there's a course of this world system that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Right? If we're born again, we are representatives of Jesus and of the kingdom of heaven. 
And so he says, he's telling the Ephesian church, it's so easy to get caught up in the course of this world. But to understand the course of this world is directed by the prince of the power of the air, the one who is still working in the offspring of Adam's disobedience. He's still working in those who are slaves of the sin of Adam, who cannot actually control themselves. They aren't righteous. They don't seek after good. They seek after for themselves. There's misery. There's, there's deceit in their mouths, right? And we see that in the course of this world. We can see it magnified over and over. Uh, you just listen to the news. You listen to the things that are going on. And certainly it's easy to magnify somebody else. But right now there's magnification who people have said one thing always intending to do another thing, saying they want peace and they create war. They want good for others, but they want good for themselves. There's just that deceit and it creates misery and creates hopelessness for others. He said, don't get caught up in that course of this world. It's being directed by the prince of the power of the air. He's still directing the course of those who are caught in Adam's disobedience of what's of which we should not be a part because we are no longer offspring of Adam's disobedience. We've been born again. Right? Does that make sense to you? And so the enemy will try to convince you you're still just the same old person, but you're not because you're not living governed simply by the course of this world. You're in this world, but we should have insight. We should have anointing. We should have the grace of God empowering us to navigate upstream when everything else is going downstream, that we have a different course of life and we're endeavoring to bring people along against the flow of this world, but in the flow of what God is doing to bring people unto salvation. Praise the Lord. And so Paul is really letting the church at Rome know that this really, from the law and all that is going on, that it's easy to fall back into that, but this is why the things that are going on are taking place. So let's go back to Romans chapter 3. Again, in 19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So it continues to come, you know, back to us. And, and uh, you know, he'll, he'll uh, again, say this uh, just in a few moments. But, uh, you know, that, that the law really reveals sin. He goes on. I mean, he says it again uh, a couple of times in this letter to them. That, that idea that the law then becomes something that's bad. He said, no, the law is good. We're not captured under the law. But why, why is the law good? Because the law reveals sin. And, the, and really, when you realize and understand that what it reveals is that no man, Jew, Gentile, Greek, slave, whatever, that, that, that the law, when you try to do it and you're unable to do it, you realize that I cannot do this on my own. And since I can't, I need help. Why did God send the law? To show man that without him, without him just living in them, not just being amongst them, but living in them, they, are, they do not have the power to live 
above sin and the death that comes with it, the destruction that comes with it. It will always be encroaching into our lives to steal, to kill, and to destroy, to destroy our life, to take away our finances, our hope, our joy, the peace in our life. It's always working to work some kind of destruction, take something away from us to destroy and take away the hope of our salvation and the hope that we have in God. Because if we know and have all of those things that God has been Benefited us with and blessed us with, if we partake of everything that he's given us that pertains to life and godliness, we begin to shine a bright light. We begin to have a hope of the future. We begin to declare that to others, that there is hope in the midst of all this, and that hope is Jesus Christ, and he came for every single person to give them hope, and he knows if that we can convey that. It's going to spread to people. So if he can just work in us a little bit of depression, a little bit of sadness, a little bit of brokenness, a little bit of woundedness, so we can feel like we identify with them, we're not effective in being the light to them. And again, if you're working through brokenness, if you're working through things that have really brought you down and hurt you, I'm not, I'm not de- putting that down in any way. don't want you to feel bad, but there is hope by the anointing of God. You say, well, I'm really working it out with somebody. Work it out with him. The Holy Spirit wants to work it out. And he doesn't want us to make excuses for, you know, this has happened and this is the way I feel. And this. No, he wants to raise you above that. So you don't have to have the wounds of the past. You don't have to have that brokenness. And, and, and you can relate to people by saying, my life once was broken. And they're like, are you kidding? Your life could have never been broken. Look at you. And you say, but it was. How did you, how, how can you look like you were never broken? I couldn't. Except for Jesus and the Holy Spirit put me back together again. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. Come on, the world will try to tell you, no, you got to tell people, I'm just as broken as you. Well, you do. We've been broken. But you don't want to go, look at how broken I am. Because they'll go, well, I don't know what good it is to get saved and come to Jesus if we're all just still broken. No, we know that, that, that sin broke us. Right? I'm not saying act like you were never broken, but to know that you were broken and people not know you were broken because God's put it back together again. But you can't do that. You can't take the brokenness of life and will it to be put back together again like it never was. I'm just going to will that. I'm just going to overcome. No, you have to rely upon the grace of God. See, that will is still going back to the law. I'll do this. I'll put it back together again. I'll make it whole. Nobody will ever know I'm broken. Oh, they will. If you're trying to put it back together yourself, they'll know. It's when you let God start putting it back together again that they're like, there's no way you were ever broken like that. Sure we were. Sure we were. Plenty of testimonies. The enemy that came in. But you'd never know it unless somebody told you. So, well, people should tell more. Well, they usually don't want to look back because they know it was bad and they love what God is doing. People in this room that you'd never guess went through something. God made them 100% whole. Come on. So the law, he said the law was good. It showed up our inability to do what only God could do. And listen, if, if the law shows up, certainly it can make you feel bad. It can make you feel oppressed. Uh, it even says the letter kills. But the reason that the law was there is not to be bad, but it was good to say, if, if I can't do this, I need help. 
And all of a sudden, by exposing that, it exposed that humanity needs a savior. So everything he's led up to this point is to say, look at all that's going on and look at the mess that's in the world. And you're, you're trying to say, well, I'm better than you and you're better than me and my religion's better than your religion and my works are better than your works, but we're all still confused because we know we're not good enough. If you stack it up to any law, any, even any idols, any gods, it just doesn't ever seem to stack up. But God gave the answer, right? God gave the answer. And so, you know, we, we can look at the Jewish law. I don't want to get too far off track here. But, you know, even as, as uh, Tony was saying a little bit today, you know, they were blaming everything on Christians because when disasters happen, they were like, it's because the gods aren't getting enough worship. So even in pagan religions and all that, they had to come and give such a servanthood, a servitude to the idol or, or, or to the gods that they could never meet because why did they never think they could meet it? Because there was always earthquakes. There was always stuff going on. So somewhere, somebody ticked the gods off. And so in every religion and everything, you can't quite get there. It just shows up that in and of ourselves, we're inadequate. And we're always looking for something bigger or something. But in that something bigger, we tend to want to say, I found something bigger, and I have something to do with this, and, and, and I can get there. I can, I can do enough to... That I should be able to say, I'm better than them, I did it more than them, and so somehow I should merit something. He says, man, God just leveled the table. Leveled the playing field. Right? So therefore, he says in verse 20, therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law, the knowledge of sin. But now, everybody say, but now. <laughs> but now the righteousness of God apart from the law, is revealed. Come on, but now. So he said all this stuff coming up, this, the religions and the idolatry and, and the sin that's in the world that man can never seem to overcome, he says, but now. So when people go back to that, that Old Testament scripture, see, there's no righteous, no, not one. He was in the Old Testament still. He said, but now. Thank God for now. Thank God for Jesus. He said, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, it's been prophesied and declared. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's leading all that from, first, from chapter 1 up. He's saying, you might think, you're something over here. And you might have excused yourself because you got your own gods, but God is evident in creation. And you might have excused yourself because you're a Jew and you have the law, but you're not living by it. And then he says, over here, we just have people who don't identify with anything, but he said, listen, everybody fell under this place. Everybody has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, here we are. We all are in the same boat. But thank God there's a really big boat that everybody can get in. Right? It just eliminates us, even from our perspective as believers, kind of getting the high and mighty. You know, sometimes, you know, as we walk through life, it's usually a process of what God is doing with us. But, you know, when he works on us and we get to a certain point, and then, you know, I'm trying to bring John along, and I'm like, my God, what's taking you so long? But if we look back at the calendar we'd find out that it took me a long time. 
because I've arrived there and God's so good not to remember my past, then I think, I just, I came here like that. I just arrived. Why can't you just arrive? He says, no, we all started in the same place. We believe Jesus, the same Holy Spirit, is working in us. And the work that he started the day that we gave our life to him, he is faithful to complete it in us. Right? So we may all be at different stations. We all might have had different things the Holy Spirit needed to start with in our own mindset and sin. But he started something in every single one of us. And he's not finished with it yet. Because all of us had sin that he had to work with. All of us had fallen prey to sin, the sin of Adam, and we were dictated by it. And because we were dictated by it, we got in situations that affected us in different ways. Right? Some were affected by it, and they, they made decisions that brought guilt and shame. Some of it brought a brokenness of life. Some of it brought arrogance and conceit because of the success. But it all worked something in us. And when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in, and he's going to transform us from that place of whatever sin had created and made us think that we were. He was ready to start a transformation that when he was done, we don't look like arrogance. We don't look like brokenness. We don't look like the shame and the guilt. We're turned around and we are recreated in the likeness and the image of him who created him. And all that's left behind and what's left standing is an image of what God created us to be. What we were born again to be from from the very first intention of God. He says, so don't go back and compare yourselves by yourselves. It's not wise. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, he says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's that word grace again. He comes back around to it. He says, we're not in that grace that says just go ahead and sin and it doesn't matter. He says, sin encompassed and captured. Everybody fell into it and was bound by it. But we were justified. That word justified means made, made righteous. We were all made righteous by grace. It shows you the power of grace. What the law could not do, grace could do. Why? Because grace is not an excuse for sin. Grace is the power of God to overcome sin. And so he said, you are justified. You are made righteous by the grace that was in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. He said he set forth Jesus and his blood as this propitiation, this go-between, this meeting place for us with God, that Jesus is the one. We meet God at the place of Jesus' shed blood, his sprinkled blood upon that mercy seat. And when we believe in the blood of Jesus, we meet him at the place where mercy triumphs over judgment. Come on, he set him forth as the go-between, as the atonement, the great atonement. And his atonement was his sacrifice, his blood. And his blood is sprinkled upon the mercy seat. And in that place where he's between God and us is where his blood is sprinkled. And though we deserve judgment, mercy is granted because of the grace of God. 
So he said, we come to that meeting place. We come to the throne of grace where the blood is sprinkled. And we come to that place of meeting with God to do what? To obtain mercy. To know that mercy, though we deserve judgment because we've sinned, there's mercy instead of judgment. And we're washed and we're cleansed. And the moment that we know that we're cleansed, this is why a pass by, a drive by 1 John 1, 9 doesn't usually lead us to repentance. God, forgive me, but I'm probably going to do it tomorrow. He says, stop at that meeting place and observe the blood and know that the blood is more powerful than what you've done before. And stop for a moment and receive or obtain mercy. And when mercy, the mercy of God, washes over you, you realize, I've been forgiven of my unrighteousness. I've been forgiven of my sin. And now that I'm justified, or I'm, I know that I'm righteous, I'm cleansed from all unrighteousness, now what do I do? I got to go back to work on Monday. <laughs> I got to go back into that situation. He says, but if you know that you're cleansed, you're still at that meeting place, and it's called the throne of grace. And there's not an excuse for you to go back tomorrow and make a mistake and then come back, but there's grace right there for what? For help in your time of need. So you're not repeating your sin. You realize I'm forgiven and I'm washed, and I don't ever want to go back to that tomorrow. I don't want to just feel like I'm good. If I die between now and then, I get to go to heaven. And then after tomorrow, after I do it, I'm going to get another spacer just in case while I'm asleep or something happens between now and then, I'm covered because I went for forgiveness. No, he said, when you come to that place where you understand this is the place, this is the propitiation, this is the atonement made for you. It's the blood of Jesus. That it's not just a religious thing that you're attaining to. You couldn't even attain to it. It's something that comes upon you and it washes you. And when you know, whoo I'm washed. I don't want to go tomorrow back and do the same thing. Wow, that mercy I obtained was something. Because it wasn't of me. I can't even boast of it. I can't even say, look it, I came to you and asked for forgiveness because I came, but it was the blood that washed me and the blood that cleansed me. And I'm clean right now. It's just as if I've never done it before. So why would I go back to it if I had never done it before? If I realized that it was ruining my life, if I realized that it was hurting me, it was bringing guilt and shame into my life, that it had wounded me and it had broken me, why would I go back if I recognized it's just as if I never had done it? See, we go back to that, boy, I got to do something more. I got to do something more. But when you stand there and realize he did it, and when he was done doing it, it was just as if I had never done what I'd done. So why would I say I'm just going to go back to it? No. Why would I go back to it if I realized what it done to me? No, but I know I'm going back into situations where it's going to be evident where the devil's going to say, this is how you respond in this situation. So I'm going to need help. And he said, there'll be grace, grace that you access by faith. You're not going your way anymore. You're going my way. And when you trust me and believe that my way is better than your way, I have a helper and I have grace to help you through. That's good news. That's good news. Verse 26, he says, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in God. 
I love this, this little portion. How, how, you know, Tony said it today, you know, about that great commitment. He says, first of all, you weren't righteous. I was righteous, and I demonstrated how righteous I was. Because you were dead in sin. You were away from me. What you deserved was death, but because I'm righteous, I became not only just, but the one who justified you. And to understand that it's not what we've done. I mean, we say it, but to really understand it's not what I've done. He was righteous, and he was just, and he justified me. It wasn't of my own works. I didn't do anything. He did it. Now his commitment to me, if he would do all that for me, what would I do in return for him? From my heart, not because I have to, because I couldn't do enough. Verse 27, he says, where is the boasting then? See, that's what he's getting to. Now we're getting past all the religious stuff. Where is the boasting? It is excluded. We're all like, oh, man, I knew it. I knew it. You come into this Christian thing, you work so hard to get credit. You come to this, nobody gets any credit. Come on, Jesus is glorified. Jesus is magnified. Right? Where's the boasting? I was just ready to boast about what I did. Oh, it's excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. He said our boasting in ourself is all excluded. Why? By what law? The law of faith. Because our belief and our trust is now in God, not in ourself, not in our ability but in what Jesus has done for us. Verse 28, therefore we conclude. We're about to conclude. <laughs> therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Praise the Lord. Thank God. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Well, he's coming down to something here that we, I mean, 2,000 years, we still are just, we got consternation over. Let's just forget the law. He said, are we just going to throw the law out? No. He says, if we understood the grace of God, we are actually, we established the righteousness of the law, but in our hearts through faith, not written on tablets of stone, but written on our hearts in relationship with God. He said, what I want for you is not that you look at this uh, word constantly and go, I don't want to do this, I don't, I, I, I'm not able to do this, but if I want to get to heaven, then that's what I got to try to do. I just got to try to keep doing this, try to keep pleasing God. He says, no, this word is alive. It's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That when you allow it to, it penetrates past your feelings, your emotion. It passes, penetrates past your intellect and hits you right in the spirit. And it becomes alive. It's a seed that grows and it becomes alive. And it starts to write this on your heart. In other words, simply put, it becomes a want to, not a have to. It's written on my heart. It's part of the desire of my heart. 
And he says, when you do that, when you want to do good to somebody from your heart, you don't want to take from them from your heart. It's not about you. It's about God and about somebody from your heart. You've just established the essence of the law, not because you could do it and you did it all in writing and said, look what I did. Check mark, check mark, check mark, check mark. Look at I got all check marks. I got an A plus and you got a B minus. Ha ha. No, he said, let's do away with all of that and let God, by his spirit, write it on our hearts. So now it's not something we're trying to do, but it's something that we're doing as a matter of our life. It's not that we have to remember and recall. What did that say? It's supernatural recall because it's written on our hearts. Once it takes hold of our hearts, it's there. It's revelation. It's once and for all solidified in our life. Makes us unshakable, immovable in the faith that God's put in our life. Come on. And so there's a process that he says, but he says, if you look at this and you begin to say, what I'm reading here, I'm not looking and saying, how do I check mark this? I'm looking and saying, God, make that real to me. Make that life to me. When it says, love your neighbor as yourself, love, pray for those who, who despitefully use and persecute you. God, I could never do that. Instead of saying, I could never do that, and saying, well, there it is. The law shows up that I can't do it. Instead say, I can't do that. But I know that if you said to do it, you can empower me to do it. So you, by your spirit, Cause me to see it, have revelation of it, and allow it to become a part of my life. When it takes a hold as revelation, you will pray for that person who despitefully use and persecute you. You will love somebody who hates you. You'll pray for them. No, I don't think I can do that. No, you can't do that without the grace of God. But see, Jesus said there's going to be something unique about us that we'll be able to love differently than anybody else. If we only love those who love us, if we only forgive those who forgive us, if we only do good to those who do good to us, we're no different than the world. He said, what thank of you is the same. When you can love at an extraordinary level that only comes out of your heart from God, not because you have to, because having to, you might be able to put on a show, but you're going to go home and be frustrated about it. You're going to go home and say, I always do for people they never do for me. And that law will take hold and it'll create that animosity and bring you back into sin. But when you say, you know what, I did that just because it's in my heart to do, you'll rejoice at the benefit that it gives somebody else. Paul started off with, here's how sin gripped people. They made choices of their own. They chose to deny God. You have this religious place. And then he said, and everybody else, don't think it's just those, the, the, those idol worshipers, those homosexuals, don't just think it's the religious people. Everybody sinned. But Jesus came for every single person. Come on. Every single person. And you may have already known what we talked about tonight. You might have said, I got that in Bible school. But we're putting you in remembrance. Because tomorrow when you go to work, you may see somebody. You may listen to somebody. How are you responding? How are you reacting? Are you looking at it from a legalistic standpoint? Are you looking at it from your own opinion? Are we looking at it from the world's opinion? Are we really stopping and saying, what's in my heart, what God's put there, so that I understand I'm justified, I'm forgiven, I can walk in a place that really God leads me in every single day 
because I'm in that divine relationship with him. I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm forgiven, I'm made righteous because of what God did for me, not what I could do for myself. Amen? Father, we thank you. We praise you and we magnify you. Holy Spirit, work with us every single day. Help us in the revelation of our redemption, our justification through the blood of Jesus. Help us to not look back and end up easily falling back like the great Galatian Christians that we're free to understand that now, but we start to fall back into what we do or what we don't do. And that becomes the basis of our merit. Let us not go back there, but to continually remember that what we're doing and that is good and it's good works is by the grace of God strengthening us in our inner man to do good works that reveal to people the goodness of God. And in that goodness of God revealed through us and the works that we do in partnership with you, not because we have to, but because we're walking with you and you're leading us in those places of doing good and demonstrating your goodness. It says your goodness leads men to repentance. So we thank you for equipping us and helping us, showing us areas that we've held on to that you want to wash and cleanse, that you might, we might obtain mercy in those areas and find grace to help us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand up with me? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Well, we wanna, I, I just want to say a prayer. I don't know very much the Holy Spirit does. Uh, a family that has incurred a tragedy. Uh, we just got that. We don't know all the details. But God does. So let's just take a moment and pray for them. Uh, really that the Spirit of God would do what only He can do. Amen? Father, we thank you. We praise you. God, we don't know all the details here. But God, we know you love every single person. You love every single family. And the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, to create tragedy, wounds, and hurts, to wound even so deeply that it would be difficult for someone to believe in you and rely upon your healing after something Tragic happens. Holy Spirit, we just ask you right now to move upon that family's life in a way that only you can. We don't know what's stirring, what emotionally, what wounds. We don't know what transpired. We just don't know, but you do. Holy Spirit, even as we announce that as you move on people's hearts, maybe tomorrow or the next day, that we'd realize we don't know, but what the things we don't know what to pray for as we ought to. Holy Spirit, you'll help us to pray. Continue to pray as you prompt us for this family and others like them. We don't always need to know the whole story. We don't need to get in on it. You know. So we trust you, Holy Spirit. Move with compassion. Move with the abundance of your grace and your mercy, your loving kindness. But also with your mighty power to lift up to restore, to heal, to do something that only you can do. We've talked about that today. Our salvation is only something you could have done. And restoring from tragedy is something that only you can do. So we ask you, God, to move the family's life where we don't know but you do. Move and create a healing, a restoration, a knowledge of your goodness 
that if there's not a knowledge of you and there's not salvation, God, that you would bring them to know that you did not do this. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But you are a God of life, God of love, God of goodness and grace. So we thank you, Lord, for moving in their hearts and their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week.